Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to teach kids coping skills. This is something that I get asked all of the time, you guys. How do we teach coping skills? Why isn't this child engaging in a coping skill? Why aren't they calming down when I tell them to calm down? And coping skills are really complex. And I think something that we don't focus on enough is that we can teach behaviors just like we teach academics. So what I want you to think about while we're talking about this in this episode is that we are really gonna be breaking down the process of how to teach different coping skills But in reality, we're teaching them just like we would teach an academic skill, right? We're starting with our foundation and really basic, basic skills that we're going to teach the kids really explicitly over and over again, give them a lot of practice with these skills, and then we're going to build on those skills just like we would do with any of the academic concepts that we teach. So a lot of teachers that I've talked to and worked with kind of shy away from teaching these types of behaviors because I think in teacher prep programs, we really focus on how to teach reading and writing and math and science and history, but we don't ever really focus on how to teach behaviors. And in its simplest form, a coping skill is a behavior, right? And we can teach behaviors just like we teach academics. In fact, if you really think about it, academics are behaviors, right? Like reading is a behavior. So that's what I just want you to think about while we go through talking about this and while I lay out some of the foundational skills that we need to teach prior to teaching coping skills and then how do we take the coping skills to the next level and what do we do when the skills that we've taught kids aren't necessarily working for them and we need to bolster up the skills that we're teaching. So Again, it's important that you think of coping skills as just that, a skill, something that needs to be taught explicitly and needs practice a lot. I think this is where we really struggle in education in that we often do not teach the coping skills explicitly in our classrooms. And no fault to any teacher, we aren't taught how to teach coping skills explicitly in our classrooms, right? And what we're gonna talk about more in this podcast is we don't teach coping skills that actually work for them. So what I mean by that is that we might be teaching some coping skills like yoga and deep breathing and meditation, but what happens when that's not working for our kid? So we're also going to talk about that, that we also need to teach kids skills that actually work for them and how do we determine what's working for them. Okay, so I've already talked about how we're going to teach coping skills like we teach academics. So have you thought about the very foundational skill to teaching a coping skill? I would argue that the very foundational skill is to teach kids how to identify emotions. Once we teach them how to identify emotions, we want to teach them how to accurately label those emotions. So these are two essential components to teaching coping skills, in my opinion. Think about it. 
If kids can't identify emotions, then how do they know which emotions would warrant using a coping skill, right? So we need to teach emotions explicitly first. Simple emotion identification tasks can be a great way for kids to learn how to label and identify emotions. Then we can move on to teaching them how to identify those emotions when they're actually experiencing them. So once a kid can look at different pictures and be able to identify, this is angry, this is sad, this is happy, then we can teach them how to identify those emotions for themselves when they're actually experiencing them. When a student does really well on something, you might wanna say, you're smiling and clapping your hands. How do you feel? When it's raining outside and they just came over the announcement stating that you're gonna have indoor recess, you might say to a student, you just put your head down and you got really quiet. How are you feeling? This allows kids to pair their feelings with an emotion label. Now, it's not necessarily absolutely essential for them to know how to label every single emotion, but it helps make a very abstract concept a little bit more concrete, right? When we're going through this process, it's important to convey to kids that however they feel in that moment, it's okay to feel that. You might have a group of kids that are super happy that they have indoor recess and a group of kids that are super upset about it, right? Either way, their feelings are valid and they're allowed to feel the way that they feel. So when you're teaching them to identify emotions and label the emotions that they're actually experiencing in that moment, you wanna make sure that you're also conveying the concept that it's okay to feel however you're feeling about a different situation. And if you're feeling different than one of your friends or a peer in the class, that's okay too. Different situations affect us all differently. So now that our students can identify and label emotions, right? So again, you can use some simple emotion identification tasks like task cards, and then move on to teaching them how to identify those emotions when they're actually experiencing them. And this might take some time, you guys, because every day they might not be sad. We hope that every day they're not sad or they might not be angry. And so those emotions that are less frequent are gonna take more time to build. So now that our students can do this, when they're experiencing them, the next step is to teach them an appropriate way to manage that emotion. So I think we can all agree that screaming and destroying property when you're angry is not an appropriate response to anger, right? I do wanna challenge us to move away from and expand our thoughts on appropriate responses. Often we think coping strategies are taking a walk, counting to 10, doing some yoga. Don't get me wrong, all of those are great responses and can help calm one's body. However, they're not gonna work for every child. So we need to be able to identify, support, and teach coping skills that are effective for various kids. But before we talk about that, let's talk about some of the more common calming strategies that we use in our classrooms. So you might have heard about using a calming corner where you set up an area in your classroom that students can go and engage in various activities like coloring, journaling, playing with Play-Doh. You might have like a bouncy ball for them to sit on over there, putting their head down. Those are all strategies that you can utilize in your classroom. You might also have heard of asking them to take a walk or take a break or some deep breathing, meditating, yoga. Again, all wonderful coping strategies that will probably help the majority of your kids calm their body in various situations. All these things are great when we are teaching our kids to engage in calming their bodies. And so let's talk about how we're gonna actually go about teaching those skills. We wanna first remember that we need to teach them explicitly and regularly, allowing time for practice when kids are not upset. Okay, let me say that again. We wanna teach these on a regular, 
basis and do this very consistently in our classrooms when kids are not upset. You might want to teach a new skill and practice during maybe your morning meeting or have a regular time throughout the day that you practice and review these skills. I believe the best approach to teaching any skill is to utilize behavioral skills training. This is a four-step model that is used when we teach people new skills. The first step is instruction on the skill. You're going to want to give kids some information on whatever skill you're teaching. So let's say we're talking about deep breathing as an example. You can say to kids, today I'm going to show you how to do something called deep breathing. Deep breathing is when you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth very slowly. You can do this 10 times or maybe even more. You do this over and over until your body feels better. You want to take deep breaths to help calm your body when you feel upset. There, you gave them some information about what deep breathing is, how it looks, and when you do it, right? Then the next step is to model this skill. You want to take some deep breaths in front of your class over and over again. Then you're going to have them engage in deep breathing. You're going to watch them, and finally, you're going to provide them with some feedback. You might have students who do this way too fast, or maybe they inhale and then hold their breath for a really long time before letting it out. You're going to want to give them feedback on how they're deep breathing, adjust anything that they're doing that might not be exactly how you want them to do it, and you're going to provide feedback and continue to allow for practicing until they're doing it pretty well. Now, they're not going to be perfect at it the first time you teach them, but you want to get them to a point where they're doing it pretty well. And then you're going to repeat this for any coping skill that you want to teach, all while continuing to practice the older skills, right? So think about when we teach reading. You might have taught the letter A in your class on Monday, and now you've moved on to letter B by Wednesday, but you're going to still keep practicing the letter A, right? So it's the same thing with coping skills. We're going to teach new skills, but we're going to continue to review the old skills, And the goal of this is that over time, we build these skills for the kids into the repertoire so they're able to engage in them when they're upset. I'm just going to reemphasize this point. We never want to teach a kid a new skill while they're elevated. If you have not taught them how to take deep breaths, if they become elevated, you telling them over and over to take deep breaths will not only frustrate them because they don't know how to do it, it'll also make it look like they're not complying with what you're asking them to do when in reality, they simply don't have the skill. Also, when they're upset, telling them to do something probably will not work. When any of us are upset, our ability to process information goes down dramatically. I know we all get annoyed when we're upset and someone tells us to calm down. So really avoid doing that as much as possible. I know it's an instinct when a child becomes upset that we just say, you need to calm down. But in reality, if someone were to tell you that when you became upset, it would probably frustrate you further. So avoid that at all costs when you're working with a child who is elevated. What is really effective is if you just model the strategy for them. So if you taught deep breaths in your class and a child becomes elevated, you might just want to start taking deep breaths near them and become patient. Just patiently take some deep breaths. This might take time. Remember, you might have taught these skills built them into their students' repertoire, and done all the things perfectly. But new skills take time to learn, and you might be working with a child who previously had some behaviors that weren't so classroom appropriate reinforced in the past. So we need to reestablish a contingency of when you become upset, engaging one of these appropriate strategies can help you feel better. 
And unfortunately, that only comes with time. So really, really be patient with this. If you've taught the strategies and you've done all of the things and then you have a child who becomes upset and maybe their first response is not to take some deep breaths or take a break, walk away from the situation, you might want to just go over to them start modeling, taking deep breaths, reminding them calmly using a visual or a nonverbal prompt to take some deep breaths. That'll be a lot more effective than using any type of verbal prompt when a student is elevated. And when the student does engage in an appropriate strategy, we really want to reinforce that a lot. You want to provide a lot of praise to that child. You might want to have them reflect on how that made them feel and remind them of how that made them feel. You want to do all of the things when they're engaging in these strategies more appropriately. You really want to reinforce that so that, again, that builds that into the repertoire. It rebuilds that contingency of when I'm upset, I can engage in an appropriate strategy. It made me feel better. And now my body is calmer. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. This might not be working for all of our kids, right? That's exactly what I'm thinking. So let's talk about it. If these strategies that we just named previously are not working for our kids, how do we teach them appropriate calming strategies? Like I said earlier, we really need to expand our thoughts on what we think an appropriate calming strategy is. I think that we can all agree that the ones that we talked about earlier are appropriate calming strategies, right? But there are some other options as well. Now I can't list all these options out for you because they're gonna be unique to each child. So let's talk about an example. So say for instance, you have a student when they become upset with an academic task, they rip up their work. Now we don't want students to be ripping up their work, we want them to be engaging in a more appropriate strategy. But the strategies that you've taught aren't working for the student. So maybe they need something different. And again, we're thinking outside of the box of appropriate calming strategies. So for instance, for this student, you might want to have a bucket of scrap paper that they can rip up. And if that's not working, you might want to add in some cardboard pieces because of that resistance might help them release their frustration in that moment. Again, not everyone thinks this is appropriate, but it's a unique strategy that might allow that student to calm down in the moment. Okay, so here's another example. Say you have a student who, when they become upset, they like stomp their feet, kind of throw those like mini tantrums. Now, we don't want them to be stomping their feet around the classroom, so maybe a more appropriate strategy for this student is to go outside of the classroom, maybe they're on a walk, but they're allowed to stomp their feet while they're taking a walk. This might help the student calm down and return to class ready to learn. Okay, so one more example. Say you have a student who, when they become upset, they like to quote unquote vent about the situation. So you might have a student who, when they become really upset, they like to just kind of get all their feelings out, maybe not in the most appropriate way. They might be really loud when they do it. They might say things that are pretty inaccurate or what some people might consider lying about the situation. So what we wanna do is rework that behavior. So for all of the examples that I talked about previously, we are going to develop a plan that allows us to work with the strategy that the student is engaging in, but just in a more appropriate way. So let's talk about the venting example first. We have a student who likes to vent about the situation. They might not do it in the most appropriate way for school. They might be loud when they're doing it. Again, they might be saying things that aren't true about what happened in the situation. So we might tell them, you know, if you need to vent about the situation, you need to do it in this location and you need to only do it for five minutes. So we put a time cap on it and then we might work it down to maybe three minutes and then maybe one minute and then maybe we work it down to, okay, so if you're going to vent about the situation, you have to write about it. You have to write about it in your journal or in this notebook. 
That way it allows the student to express the way that they feel just in an appropriate way for school. See how we kind of work that behavior backwards into a more appropriate calming strategy? So let's take one of our other examples. Say we have that student who's throwing that like mini tantrum, they're stomping their feet. So maybe we say to them, you know, if you're going to stomp your feet and that's what helps you calm down, you have to do it outside of the classroom and you, when you're on your walk, you can stomp your feet. And then we say, okay, you can only stomp your feet for the first five minutes of your walk and then just the first three minutes. And now we're just going to take a walk. We're not going to stomp our feet at all. Again, see how we kind of worked that behavior backwards where they might have been stomping all around the classroom. Now we just have them stomping out in the hallway and then we kind of worked it back time-wise again. You have five minutes to stomp your feet while we're on our walk and then you have three minutes and then you have one minute and then maybe we're not stomping at all. What we're doing in these examples is we're taking the coping strategy that works for that student and we're just making it more appropriate for the school setting. So again, if the calming strategies that you taught your class are not working for everyone, you might want to look at the unique cases of different students and come up with a plan that allows you to kind of rework that behavior to a more appropriate classroom or school behavior. Now, what I would encourage you to do is meet with a team of people that are working with that child. Maybe there's multiple teachers involved, the parents, the child when appropriate, and develop this plan together. Everyone can agree on what they deem appropriate in the school and how we're going to rework that behavior step-by-step step into a more appropriate calming strategy. Because what we really, really want the end goal of this whole process to be is that the student learns to calm their body in an appropriate way for the school setting. One thing I do want to note is that these plans take time to be effective. So just like with the other calming strategies that you taught your whole class, I really want you to be patient with these strategies that you're teaching these particular students individually. We need to give these kids time to build these new skills and really practice them and be able to engage in them when they are becoming upset. I know no one really wants to talk about data because data is really hard to collect in a school setting, but taking data can really help you see the progress that the student is making towards engaging in those appropriate calming strategies. And it would be really good to have data on your whole class when you're teaching them calming strategies as well. Even though taking data might be difficult, I would encourage you to consult with someone in your building that does know how to take data or maybe a colleague that takes really nice data and just brainstorm ideas on how you can take data so that you can see this progress. Because that data is really gonna allow you to make decisions on if what you're implementing in your classroom is working for the students that you're implementing it with. At this point, we've talked about how to teach calming strategies in your classroom, and then we also talked about some ways to brainstorm some ideas for students who the calming strategies that you taught might not be working for them. Okay, so one last thing I wanna talk about is that timing aspect. Now, I hesitate to put a time frame around how long it takes a student to calm down because we can all agree that it takes us varying amounts of time to calm down depending on the situation. But we also can agree that a student cannot miss so much classwork or so much access to the curriculum because they're spending an exorbitant amount of time engaging in these calming strategies. So here's where data comes into play again. What you really want to do when you're developing those time frames is take some baseline data of how long it's taking the student to calm down right now. Once you have an average amount of time that it's taking the student to be able to re-enter the classroom, then you can agree on a time frame that is more appropriate. So say it's taking the student right now 45 minutes to engage in a calming strategy to the point where they're able to re-enter the classroom. 
Now, 45 minutes is, for some people, an entire class period. That's a really long time to be engaging in a calming strategy. As a team, you're also going to determine, okay, so what's a more appropriate time frame for this student, and how are we going to draw that overall time back incrementally? Once you've decided on those intervals, you would carry out the plan much like we carried out those other plans that we talked about previously and arrive at a final time frame that the student is able to engage in those coping strategies. With all of this being said, I do also want to throw one last tip in here is that if a student is engaging in one of their calming strategies and they're engaging in it within a particular time frame, if a situation arises that they might need a little bit longer to engage in a calming strategy, I would encourage you to teach them that, okay, so we've given you this time frame, the time frame is up. What's something appropriate that you can do if you need more time? You can just simply ask for more time, right? So teaching them to say, you know, I just need five more minutes, then give them those five more minutes. I always err on the side of if a student is communicating with me appropriately and they're just asking for a couple more minutes to calm themselves, especially if the situation might warrant a little bit more time than the original time frame that we had given them, then I would reinforce that appropriate communication by allowing them a little bit of extra time in that particular situation. So to wrap it all up, because I've been talking for a while, we're going to use behavioral skills training to teach coping skills to your class when they're calm. And you're going to do this regularly and consistently in your class. You're going to designate a specific period of time or a specific number of days to teaching calming strategies in your class. And even when you think that they all know them and they're all doing them so well, you're going to continue to teach those concepts and practice those concepts. Because even when our kids know all of their letters, know all of the sounds, know all of their sight words, we still continue to teach reading, right? We teach reading all throughout K to 12, right? So we're gonna be teaching these strategies for a long time and we're gonna be practicing them for a long time. We talked about plans for encouraging students to engage in strategies that are appropriate for the school setting, whatever that might look like for that student. So again, these are unique strategies that work for the students that the other classroom strategies that you taught might not be working for. Finally, we talked about that time frame. What's an appropriate amount of time to allow students to engage in calming strategies that allows them to calm their body and be ready to re-enter the classroom, but doesn't take so much time that they're missing so much academic content that they start to fall behind. Guys, that's a lot that we talked about in this episode and we talked about it quickly. So I just wanted to touch on these topics and give you some tips that allow you to teach coping strategies in your classroom. What I would really encourage you to do if you need some more support in this area is to reach out to someone in your building that does this really well or someone in your building that has a background in this area. It would be great if you had a behavior specialist in your building, but if you don't, maybe reaching out to the school psychologist or maybe a counselor, someone that has a lot of experience with teaching calming strategies to help assist you with this process in your classroom. All right, so I hope this was helpful. Please subscribe so you're alerted when new episodes are live. I do plan on uploading an episode every Tuesday for you guys with tips just like this on how to teach these different strategies and things you can utilize in your classroom that help support the behavioral and social emotional needs of your students. Have a great day, guys.